it was basically just delight in this idea that I could have this infinite amount of clay, basically. Um, uh, anything you want to code, you, you know, all it takes is your knowledge and your time. Um, but an infinite amount of clay to kind of craft anything I could. Hey everybody, this is Sean from iCodeHireMe.com and this is episode number 10 of the iCodeHireMe podcast. On today's show, we have Josh Beckman. After two years of being a freelance photographer, Josh taught himself how to code on the side to eventually become a lead software engineer for the Chicago Sun-Times and currently is a director of engineering at a Chicago company called Office Love. Josh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So back in 2012, you graduated with a degree in neuroscience. Was your plan back then to become a neuroscientist, or what were you thinking after graduating? Yeah, so well, when I was getting my degree, that was, that was definitely the plan, and um, took the MCATs and all that. And then stared down eight more years of school and didn't like the look of that. So at the time when I was in school, I was working as an EMT and I was also working as a photojournalist for the local newspapers. And so I decided that I really wanted to explore photography for a while. And if it didn't work, I would fail very quickly and uh, go back into medical school. <laughs> um, but instead, I got a job doing that. And so proceeded with the photography stuff. And uh, nice. that led to... Another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and uh, ended up here. That's awesome. Yeah, eight years of school uh, seems pretty daunting. <laughs> yes, yes, especially now when you see people go into boot camps and all that kind of stuff for a few months, rather than oh, yeah. years and years. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that photojournalist position. What type of work were you doing mainly? Yeah, so I really enjoyed uh, being outside and going around and finding your own stories and interviewing people, um, getting to go to unique experiences, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I worked as a photojournalist uh, downstate at, uh, in Champaign and around central Illinois, and then moved up into Chicago to work for Rapports or the Sun-Times, uh, doing small bit assignments and kind of like sponsored gigs. And that was super fun. And one thing that, uh, if anybody knows, photojournalists, uh, you'll know, is that they always try to get their work up on complex websites. So I ended up teaching myself how to do basic, like a PHP scripted website that could whole, read a directory of images and display those things. And so I, I got a little bit of a foot in with that. And when I was in the office, not out on assignments, I kind of put up a little task management system that was quite literally just a PHP file that I would edit and add tasks to or remove tasks from. And then I would share that with the other people who were uh, in the office writing content or taking photos. And that's kind of how I started doing a little bit more web development stuff while working um, at sometimes doing photojournalism. Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit. So you were doing this freelance photography for some times. What was the spark to the idea of you wanting to build this thing in PHP? Because that's not necessarily a normal, <laughs> normal thought that uh, journalists have. Uh, so what, tell us about that. So it was because whenever we would go and whenever you return, uh, photos back to a different customer, to your, uh, publication, a lot of times you will FTP the files into a server somewhere. And so you do that enough times with enough clients and you run into issues. And so I did some research and dug around and figure out what does FTP stand for? What do people do with this? And inevitably at that time, 
if you were looking up FTP, you found FileZilla and Cyberduck, and then you find what do people put in FTP folders? Well, they upload PHP files sometimes. And so then you can do interesting things like, for example, put an index.php file somewhere, um, and it'll list the contents of a directory for you in a certain way. And so it kind of snowballed from there to where I could figure out that I could put a plain text file up there instead of some images, and I could access it from a URL. So how did you teach yourself PHP then? Lots and lots of trial and error and research online. I had So when I was taking neuroscience courses, it was a computational neuroscience. So we, was do, we were learning machine learning techniques. So um, we were using mostly Python for that. And I never really delved too much into it. Uh, but we did go over, you know, basic, you know, loops and constructs and basic programming techniques. Nothing fancy. Everything's always in one file. But I had familiarity with, like, what a for loop was, how to instantiate a variable, those kinds of things. And PHP was just another, you know, it's just another programming language, another scripting language that you can use in a similar way. Um, so I had a little bit of those basics down. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like you had a little bit of a crash course in those basics. Because um, mm-hmm. that always that always really helps. Um, even today, like once you know one language, it's if you have those basics, it's easy to learn another. Yeah, hopefully. So what was next then after your, your little PHP script? What was your next step into really diving deeper into software? At that time, this sometimes was laying off people left and right. And so they had fewer and fewer things for me to work on, <laughs> photojournalist-wise and journalism-wise. <laughs> and so I found myself more and more in the office uh, working uh, alongside this section of the company that was a little bit of an incubator of sorts for different companies' ideas uh, for the owners of the sometimes to invest in. So they would find these companies either to be doing due diligence on them or try to invest in them. And they would come work in this area of the floor. And I was working next to them because I was doing these kind of one-off assignments. And so working in that close proximity, I kind of saw them working on those things. And I kind of stuck my hands into, into what they were working on a little bit, uh, because I had time and they always need help. Anybody working on a, on a you know, fundable project always needs help. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of volunteered my time to work on different, largely at the time people were starting Ruby on Rails projects. And so that's what I got into. And uh, once I figured out what the frameworks and, you know, the words that I could search for uh, that were relevant to what they were working on, I would just go home. And for a period of time, I would go home from work uh, and work on my own exploration, basically, of those frameworks and techniques for like five hours a night, which I don't know if I would recommend, but it was, I could remember vividly, you know, at the office, we kind of had this like cereal bar. So I would eat cereal for dinner, basically at the office, (laughs) I would go home. And then as soon as I got home, I would maybe relax for half an hour. And then I would start researching, you know, Ruby on Rails guides, or largely at the time I was trying to build my own, you know, your own replica of Twitter or your own blogging engine in Rails all that kind of stuff. And I'd work on that basically until midnight and I'd go to bed and go back to work the next day. And you wow. get better very quickly if you repeat that process enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what was motivating you to go home and work for five hours on something that you weren't getting paid for? It was basically just delight in this idea that I could have this infinite amount of clay, basically. Uh, anything you want to code, you, you know, all it takes is your knowledge and your time. Um, but an infinite amount of clay to kind of craft anything I could 
hope for, you know? And so after you start building a blog engine or whatever, you realize that, oh, you know, I can do this better than other people, theoretically. <laughs> or, uh, you know, I want to try this, you know, specific technique. I remember I had this idea of like building an application where you could uh, share like lists of things, like to-do lists, like pre-formatted to-do lists for stuff. And that's, you know, that's obviously now a company that people start over and over and over again. But at the time, and when you're learning this stuff, you know, it feels like a, a great opportunity <laughs> that you can try to build your own idea or version of someone else's previous idea. And I just had this insatiable reward, basically feedback loop that I would get into where, you know, learning the next thing is just a few pages away. And um, trying it out is really, really simple when you can, you know, open up an interactive Ruby console or, you know, easily start up a new Rails project. So what was really motivating you was just the fascination with software. Yeah. It's just the fact that any any idea you want to try out is only limited by your ability to devote some time to it. That's awesome. So what types of things were you working on? Were those teams working on that you were sitting next to? Yeah. So we were working on largely um, we would sell we would sell advertising packages to the sometimes clients um, that would include things like sponsored content platforms or yeah I mean that was that was a big thing so it would uh, we would contact you know weekend rentals places uh, different cities that wanted to sponsor a package in the Sun Times and since we had people like me who had journalistic uh, skills on the team we could write and create you know photo and written content. And then I would also, um, you know, increasingly start coding up and help the people who were there coding up sponsored content, content management systems, basically. So engines. Mm -hmm. And so eventually we would, we were building, you know, after about a year or so, we were building largely Rails APIs, stuff like that, that would serve up sponsored content to be inserted into like the pages of the Sun-Times and things like that. So we were building, you know, high speed, high hit rate JSON APIs for that kind of stuff. And then we we're also building, you know, the admin interfaces for people to be able to manage that stuff. And how long were you doing these projects on the side? Um, well, so, I mean, on, in the evenings, I was doing that maybe for six months to a year or so. And then it had transitioned, I had transitioned to basically almost all the time working on coding projects. So then I became, you know, a full-time, I changed my title to be a developer for Agrigo, which is that incubator company. Um, and started working on a bunch of other projects that we would, uh, you know, build for largely investors of the company. At what point were you able to start getting paid for your software development? Because it sounds like you'd go home, work for five hours on these fun projects with some of those incubator companies. But how did you make that transition to actually get paid for that? I had transitioned the title of from like the photojournalist stuff to a web developer for the company. Um, but uh, the contract, like my employment hadn't changed. So all that had changed was like a title. And so after a while, I kind of, in some offhand comments to people over lunch, I discovered that I was getting paid like half as much as the other people <laughs> who were next to me working on the same things. Um, so that was an informational point for me, right? <laughs> uh, that uh, the jobs, even though I felt like I was you know, spending the same amount of time at work and maybe even enjoy enjoying myself more, that does not necessarily correlate directly to people realizing your value the same, uh, in a different way at the company. Uh, so, you know, you go through negotiations and stuff like that. 
Um, and it was really, it was a really easy negotiation because I basically said, Hey, um, I, I hadn't taken a look at the market in six months for this kind of job. I just did. And whoa, I realized that I am getting paid a very different rate than everybody else. And so they quickly matched it. Was there ever a time during this process that you dealt with uh, self-doubt or imposter syndrome? I would say at the beginning, I was definitely, you know, I was excited about learning all this stuff. And so that moreover took um, a front seat rather than kind of questioning what I was um, working on. You know, everything was always approached in the light of, oh, you know, I'm just excited to learn this stuff. And then there was probably a little bit of time, you know, after you get over your first hump of, okay, I can build this stuff. Then you start realizing, you know, how much more other people know than you. (laughs) So I remember, you know, because I was like one of the only technical people at the company, we eventually started hiring a more senior staff. And I remember interviewing um, a couple engineers who had been working for like 10 years. And I was sitting there in in a room interviewing them and talking to them about, you know, how they would work on projects, whatever. And I kind of, I remember the looks on their faces of this quizzical, like, who is this person talking to me? <laughs> why, why am I talking to this person? Uh, but I was kind of the best or one of the, one of the better ones that we had at the time at the company. And so when we brought those people on, I was, you know, I was in awe of all the things I knew, you know, how they knew about IP protocols and packet switching and all that kind of stuff. And then after about a year of working on a, a large scale new project, basically they were building a new content management system for the Sun-Times. After about a year of them working on that, they had, they had hired a team of, um, I want to say like 30 engineers or something like that. And I was kind of tangentially working with that team. They had been building this brand new kind of platonic ideal of what a content management system would be. And I remember thinking for a while that this maybe didn't work out as well as they had expected. They had built like five different Rails engines and working in different databases and everything had a very specific, very perfect purpose. And then when it came time to to demo the product, the pages took like 30 seconds to load (laughs) for like a story. And so uh, I kind of had this this secondary realization that, you know, sometimes even people who I uh, would revere very well don't really uh, know the perfect answer to anything. And so with that realization, I kind of got back onto, well, if, if other people can screw up, you know, I can screw up too, or maybe we can all learn from each other and I can, you know, not have to question myself as much. How long did you last in that position at the Sun-Times? I worked probably for three different names of the same group of people. So, you know, I had a paycheck coming from Rapports for a while or Agrigo or Sun-Times and maybe another company name at some point in between. But it was an evolving role where I kind of built up and then started contributing more and more. And then eventually I had some people on a team that I was helping manage as well. And so I was at that group at that company, I would guess, for around three years. We worked at, at that time, we worked on maybe 10 to 20 different projects during that, during that period, you know, sometimes for a few months, sometimes for a full year, um, sometimes for a client, sometimes for the internal investors. And you were doing software development for those three years. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. So um, what happened next? Were you looking to get new, a new position in software development or what were you thinking was next for your career? Yeah, that's, and that's the way I thought about it too, was, you know, what's the next thing I need to learn? And since then, that's kind of how I approach each new position that I've taken is, and that's what I would encourage other people to do as well, uh, is think about what's the next skill I want to develop and 
if I can't develop it here, where specifically would I want to go to develop it? And so at that time, I felt like, you know, I had to grasp on how to learn technological concepts, even though I didn't know all of them. And then what I wanted to learn next, though, was how to, you know, grow a team to from my own, you know, idea of what a team should be like and how to manage people on a team, either, you know, remotely or in-house. And so I was looking for a place where they either had a very small technological team and they were growing quickly, or I could come on and, and start managing a team. And so then I found that at the next company I worked at, which was uh, ThreadMeUp, <laughs> which uh, doesn't exist anymore. But at the time, uh, they had you know one engineer that was leaving, and so I could come on and take over their technology and, and grow a team, which is, which is what we did. So not only are you self-taught, but you were put in the position of actually growing engineering teams. A lot of our listeners are really just looking for their first software development gig after teaching himself how to code or maybe coming out of a boot camp. What advice do you have for those people that are looking for their first job as an engineer? What you should look for is kind of in line with how you want to operate. So, you know, everybody who's, especially people who are coming out of a boot camp, it's actually somewhat of a, a nice thing, I think, sometimes when I look at people's applications now, is they've had a chance to work in some role or another, potentially, and then, you know, decided what they actually want uh, to be working on or what kind of environment they want to be working in. And they go to a boot camp, and then they're looking for their f- first job out of a boot camp. I think they should apply their, hopefully, knowledge of how they want to operate and look for a team or an environment that's in line with that, right? I think I see a lot of bootcamp graduates who kind of, you know, apply to anything that's moving. Um, And I think what they should do is kind of look at, you know, what's the company workplace like? What's the company product like? And target things specifically by what they want to, you know, apply their past experience to. Because I think one benefit that everybody coming out of bootcamp has is hopefully past experience that they can apply and, you know, um, help build a new product with at a different company. And you're not necessarily talking about past experience as a developer, but just past experience um, as a neuroscientist or, or anything that makes them a little different. Absolutely. I think especially that, right? Every, I mean, that's if there's one thing that all the everybody who has a job in programming has commonality around is their technological knowledge or expertise. I think people should be playing up their previous or other experience as well You know, if you're somebody who worked in a nursing home, maybe you have specific knowledge about that environment or how to interact with people uh, at that stage of life that you can apply to a different company where you can also work on technology. So when you're looking at a stack of like resumes or um, applications online, is there anything that makes something stand out to you? Um, And I'm not sure if you even do this, but is there any anything that makes uh, some candidates stand out more than others? Yeah, no, I, I look at resumes uh, pretty frequently. What The things that stand out to me are, are people who are, like I was saying before, targeted with what they want to work on or who they want to work with. Um, so instead of getting a generic you know, form letter or whatever, they do some research on the company or on the people who are, work, are working there, and then they reach out with that context. That's always a, a really good indicator that they actually care and they care enough to do some research, and they also agree that they would be a fit here. Or secondarily, people who also stand out are people who understand how they work in code. 
So one thing I always ask people for when they're applying is a sample of code that they have done in the past that they can look back on and say, you know what, I did a good job on this. I understood the context of the problem well, and I made either a you know a simple or an elegant or a concise uh, solution to it. But then I also really like hearing this answer to the second question I ask, which is, you know, can you look back on a piece of code that either was you know done yesterday or two years ago that you look back on now and you thought you had the right solution at the time, but you can see now that it was you know not going to work five years down the line or it was, you know, you were copying somebody else and you didn't uh, really research the problem thoroughly or you did it in a hurry or you wrote it in a way that was confusing to other people who would have to read the code. And so I think people who can discern how they have worked in the past and use that to better themselves in the future are also really, really good people to have on a team. And I look for those all the time. So you as someone who hires developers, do you have a preference when you see applications of someone that went through a boot camp or a particular boot camp or maybe someone that is self-taught and doesn't have a degree or even has a CS degree? Is there a preference for you when you look at these? I wouldn't say there's a preference. I would say that, you know, in my experience, different backgrounds do have different kind of people who have different backgrounds have different mentalities. I wouldn't say I have a preference for one or I definitely don't wait one bootcamp over the, over the other or necessarily wait, you know, a master's degree over, you know, people who have worked for a few years out in the world instead. Yeah, and the reason I ask is cuz it's kind of a big fear for a lot of self-taught devs is they they think they have to shell up a lot of money to go to these bootcamps or even spend 4 years or a few years getting a CS degree. And that's a, it's usually a big barrier for people. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I don't know. I you know I look at the tuition every once in a while for these boot camps uh, just to keep a finger on it, and it's amazing to me how um, much people must be convinced and how much they must save up beforehand to dive into that. And so I kind of applaud some of the boot camps that you know offer scholarships or have more of an adaptive scheduling system, things like that. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Obviously, my own experience would have a uh, example of you don't necessarily need to go to one of those if you can still have the same end result if you can still have the same you know methods of teaching yourself because i think another thing that boot camps should instill and i think the best ones do is you know they're you're not going to learn everything you need to know inside of a boot camp you're still going to need to have the skills to teach yourself you know six months down the line six years down the line so thinking back on when you just started out writing your first PHP and really diving into that and then jumping over to Ruby, what advice do you have for people that are just starting out learning their first programming language? It's the same I have uh, to remind myself of all the time now, which is just play with it, right? So experiment and if it's possible to open up a interactive console with you know JavaScript or Ruby or Python, you know, do that and figure out the, you know, what, what can you do with the program in a, in a few quick t uh, keystrokes? If it's a PHP file, you know, it's really easy to save it, FTP it over and refresh the page and see what happens when you change, you know, one a string to an integer or something like that. And so I, I've had my best, you know, times. I've had the most enjoyment and I've also learned the most when I have some inkling of an idea that I want to test out or you know, somebody told me to do it this way, but I want to try the opposite to see what happens. Those are all the points at which I learned the most and um, I've grown the most, I think. 
Yeah, it sounds like you you tend to try to have as much fun as possible when you're doing these. Um, is there a particular side project or something you built that you remember as just being really cool and and like you were really proud of that you built? They're all cool in their own little ways, you know. I try to not go too many days without finding a, a small light at the end of the tunnel because sometimes you're working on projects that go for a long time. <laughs> um, but I do remember one that I was very proud of was uh, so that um, that instance I was talking about where the large team and experienced team built this ideal system that didn't actually do what it needed to do, which was like serve an article to people in a reasonable amount of time. After they had done that demo, I tried to experiment around and I had been building, you know, I had been experimenting with WordPress at the time and kind of building up a blog for myself or something like that. And uh, there's this little known feature or area of WordPress uh, called WordPress multi-sites, which was getting kind of close to what we had been trying to build at the SunTimes, you know, uh, investment arm, which was the ability for them to create a website in a few minutes and have it share the same content as a bunch of other sites, have them syndicate one article to a bunch of others. And so over a, like a, a winter um, break where there were fewer people in the office and fewer things to work on, I spent about a week working on this implementation, basically, of this WordPress multi-site system and got it to do the same thing that this group had been working on for about a year and got it to, you know, sustain and load the pages very quickly and do everything that we needed to do. And so they eventually discarded that entire system that people had been working on that they had sunk millions of dollars pretty much into because they employed those engineers for so long. <laughs> they discarded that entire project and we just used WordPress multi-site for all of those sometimes sites eventually within the next year. My God. So, so so then they just wrote you a check for like a million dollars, right? <laughs> that's not necessarily how that stuff works, but it was <laughs> it was a great feeling um, when I got to show everybody else at the on the team that hey, I built this thing using open source technology um, and a few minor tweaks, and we could build on it extensively and uh, sustainably for whatever we wanted. That's pretty awesome. That's a a, a very high impact situation that's yeah. pretty cool yes high impact <laughs> <laughs> and you get to see how it's possible to save a company potentially millions of dollars just by thinking about something a little bit longer <laughs> yep. yep so what other advice do you have for people maybe um j that are starting to code on the side now really getting into it and they've kind of convinced themselves that they enjoy this and now they're thinking about a career change um, so what advice do you have for the people right in, in between that, that career transition? Yeah, I think, I think building, you know, like I was, I was saying, I experimented with a bunch of projects. I know all the boot camps and stuff encourage you to work on small projects that you can add to a portfolio. I think those are good. Um, not necessarily for the fact that you're going to have a project necessarily to showcase, but you're going to have experience and you're going to have something to talk about that you worked on. So I would focus on instead of, you know, perfecting your portfolio display in the right way or whatever, I would focus on drawing a lesson from, you know, the first or the second time you implement a React component or a, a Rails model, things like that. Um, and so that you can talk about it and maybe you can, you know, um, contribute to an open source project that uh, you use to build those things. That's one thing I, I, I have had um, increasingly good experience with, I think, in the past few years is places like GitHub have started doing things like they help wanted tags on their issues on open source projects, 
or good first issue tags where you can view on GitHub now specific issues on open source projects that people are requesting help for or have tailored a problem for people who are just starting out to be able to contribute to and fix. Mm. And I think if you start contributing to those, you get some experience, first of all, but then you can also see people who are a little bit interactive on those projects and you can reach out to them directly. They're just people. You can get their email address from the projects you're working on and you can reach out to them if they have jobs open or if they know other people and they can also help vouch for you when you do start applying or start going into a Slack community where you want to have a job uh, posting that you want to respond to. I think those are really good initiatives that those uh, sites have started doing. And I think people should take advantage of them. Yeah, I actually didn't even know that. So you're saying um, on some open source projects on GitHub, um, there's issues that are tagged with, this is a good one for um, junior developers or, or developers just starting out contributing to open source. This is a good one for them to tackle. Yes, that's, that's precisely what it does. And that's one, and they've only introduced that in the last year or two, I think, but I've started putting it on all of the open source projects that I do personally or that we do at the company I'm at right now. I'll put on any new open source repository at least one good first issue for somebody else to contribute to because I want people to help contribute and because I want to find you know new good developers. That's really cool. So what, uh, what are some of those open source projects that you've got going on? I just open sourced one last week or a week and a half ago uh, for Office Love. So we have a catalog right now that we're building up that integrates with a bunch of different vendors, right? So we have around 50 different vendors. And so for any given product, maybe 10 to 15 of those vendors might sell it. And so we have to do a lot of you know, matching. You know, This product has this ID in this vendor and it has this other ID in this other vendor. And luckily, there's a bunch of technical details, but uh, there are some common product IDs that different you know, manufacturers use or you know, that Jewel Osco uses to sell their things. And so we're starting to standardize on those common you know, global identification numbers. And so I wrote a library, a little Ruby gem, that does some um, mathematical verification that these numbers are correct or that they come from a certain country, and that allows you to do some lookups uh, across you know, produce versus granola bars and stuff like that. So I, I wrote that little gem. It had been a library inside of our application for a while, and I just extracted it. it took me maybe two hours. And within a couple of days, it had gotten, I think, over like 300 downloads off of rubygems.org. Wow. And so it's great to see that kind of usage for things that you know we've kept internal for a while and, you know, it's not our secret sauce or anything, and other people should uh, benefit from it. And, you know, selfishly, if every other company uses that kind of verification, then we don't have to do as much ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's the benefit of open source is you provide a set of tools, and um, but the issues are, are out there and known, and other people can help you out on those issues. Absolutely. Uh, if anyone wants to find out more about you or Office Love, where can they go? Yeah, so I have, uh, I have my website, www.anjosh.com. And then uh, our company website is officelove.com. That's officeluv.com. Cool. And what's your GitHub uh, username, if you know it? Anjosh. That's my username on pretty much anything. A-N-D-J-O-S-H. Awesome. That's a good handle. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, it's worked out, you know, better and worse depending on how the URL schemes work out for different websites. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> well, uh, I'll be sure to link it in the show notes so that people can find it. Great. Cool. Well, Josh, this has been an awesome story. It's good to get a, a background that's not right from a boot camp because it's uh, easy to come across those stories. Um, you have a pretty interesting one. So thanks for talking with me today. Yeah. Have anybody please reach out if they have any other questions or want tips on how to, you know, get into it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, head over to icodehireme.com where a few of us are hanging out and helping each other learn to code.